0: The only man it's got the same move with every club. I've known a golfer with a feeling of greatness. I've known it golf for It's got the master move and the feeling hey, of great greatness Hey hello everybody. it's Todd Graves and welcome to the Feeling of Greatness podcast. I, uh, last week's been a pretty interesting week and we were re- kind of re-engaging. The feeling of greatness, the documentary that, that we're so excited to really get out into the world. And I started kind of reminiscing about the time that I spent with Mo and a lot of people ask me at the schools. It's interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm a business guy and we work at Graves Golf and we get the big team and, you know, we always are working on projects. Like we just launched the new putter, which has been really a blast. And it's just so, such a great, a great tool and people are loving it and that's been a big project and in the master classes we just did a our generation master class um, I'm working on obviously numerous other projects we got the uh, Graves Golf Performance Center which is a massive project that I've spent a heck of a lot of time working on I was out there yesterday and literally was painting floors on a building to see where the walls were going to go um, marking off space and making sure that Tanya, a very important part of our company, has two windows in her office. Uh, <laughs> all the things that you don't think about that you think about, um, just important stuff for us to get a high-functioning company to be higher-functioning and all the team members just loving what they do. So that's a big, big part of what I've been spending my time with but I started reminiscing about my time with Mo and I have to reel myself back to 1994, which is forever ago now. Um, But people ask me when I go to schools, they tend to ask me, so how did you meet Mo Norman and tell us stories about him and what happened. And so I have to sometimes refresh my own memory about the time I spent with Mo. And, and I, I, so let me just reel you back. And today I thought I would just kind of discuss, some of the highlights of the things that maybe he meant to teach me. Maybe it was something I just picked up and learned, or maybe it was just his mentoring. And so this, the conversation today is really about the importance of mentors. I, um, I think that I've been very fortunate to have mentors in my life because there's one thing, there's a, there's a value system that I, Operate by. And I, and, and I think that if I could give advice to anybody, which I try to avoid giving too much advice because me being an imperfect human being sometimes feels like, well, who, who am I to give advice to people? But I guess it's from experience that I can give some advice on when people are aspiring to be the best that they can be, whether it's just being a better human being or improving the quality of their golf game. Or their fitness, their health, or any, any of the things that we aspire to improve in our lives. If I had to give advice, I think the most important piece of advice that I could give somebody is pay attention and really make sure you're around the right people. Make sure that the people you surround yourself with are the type of people you aspire to be. And so, That was how I kind of viewed Mo because it wasn't, I didn't look at Mo as, Hey, look at this great golfer. What can he teach me? I looked at how he, how he valued golf. I look at how he talked about golf. I look at the way he, he perceived golf. For example, he used the term, the feeling of greatness, which is the the name of this podcast. And there's a reason for that. He would say he played golf with an alert attitude of indifference. And the terms he used to play the game were more than just words. There was, there was a lot behind what he would say about the game of golf. And the very first lesson, so if I have to reel it back, the very first lesson that Mo taught me, and I'll, 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 tell, you, I'll tell you the story. So I'm, I'm at a driving range in Dallas, Texas, and I had been working with a well-known instructor, Hank Haney, for three years. Hank. I give Hank a lot of credit because Hank was, had worked with a lot of great players. Uh, at the time, he was working with Marco Mira, uh, Curtis Strange. I mean, there was just a, a list of people that came through the academy when I was there. And Hank, Hank was the first one to really introduce me to swing plane or understanding that there is, there is some ideal movement of this golf club that when you do it well and you do it consistently, you become better at hitting the golf ball where you want it to go. So there was this thing, swing plane that Hank was very, very focused on. And so I spent three years, but the problem was I still, I still found myself really struggling with clarity on exactly how to play in a golf club. So there was times when I felt like I was getting it, and there was time I just completely lose it. And so I knew there was still some missing pieces, even though Hank was very, very good at explaining swing plane and understanding that this club has this ideal movement to it. And that was like, that was between 1991 and about the end of 1993. And I got to a point where, where I was really, really, really just frustrated. I i spent three years. I'd, and I tell people this, no one has spent more money on golf instruction than me. So I I'm not just a golf instructor. I, I, I have been in your shoes aspiring to play better and hiring the best coaches in the world and, and traveling around the world, and I've done it all. And at the time, I was spending a fortune to get better. And, and look, money didn't matter to me because what mattered to me was getting better at the game and doing something I loved and being better and competing and, and becoming a better ball striker. So it wasn't about the money. It was about, am I getting, am I getting better? And I wasn't. And I was so frustrated at the end of 1993. I just, I was living in Dallas, Texas, running out of money. I was a kid. I was, I said, "The hell with it. So it's interesting because I still, I still was hitting balls. I still wanted to play and I still, I still was trying to figure it out. But I was just kind of like at wit's end. My, my family was saying, you just need to get a job. You need to just move on with your life, put golf behind you. It was at that, at that point in my life. So I don't, again, maybe this is just, um, luck, but maybe not my, my sponsors who sponsored me as a professional player built a very big driving range called city point golf center in Dallas. It was on the junction of I-35 and 635. And they built this, this driving range there. And they said, Todd, look, and it was really warehousing land because eventually this was going to, right now it's just this massive office complex. So very, very expensive piece of property in Dallas. Well, well to warehouse the land, they put a driving range on it. And my sponsor said, Todd, you can come out here and you can practice out here and you can teach out here. You can do whatever you want. And here I was teaching something that I didn't really understand myself, but you know, I didn't know anything about really teaching golf, but heck, I was trying to figure out how to, how to get around. And by the way, that's not a knock on other people who play golf, but you know, I wasn't, I was Frustrated with kind of figure out the golf swing, and then I was in a position to teach. <laughs> so, so it was, it was just one of those times in my life where I had a lot to figure out. I was at that range one day, and I ran into a gentleman talking about natural golf. And so I started looking into what natural golf was. And natural golf, if you don't know what natural golf is, it was considered a single axis, single plane system. You know, it was a big handled split grip. It was just, but but it made freaking sense. It was, it was like, whoa, wait a minute. And here's why it made sense. What they were doing was they were taking the club, setting it down, starting it on the same plane they would impact. Okay. And the entire time that I had spent with Hank Haney was to get the club to impact. But what would happen was if I started my hands low and then I swung, the club would always plane at a higher position than when I started. Well, when I see this natural golf group, they are starting in the club and impacting because they're starting it higher. Okay. So that's kind of where I I saw it for the first time. I'm like, Whoa, there's something something here. Then they mentioned this guy named Mo Norman, but at the time Mo wasn't a big part of natural golf. He was just like, well, this guy does it. I'm like, well, what the hell? This makes a lot of sense. It was just like the light bulb went off. Like, Holy crap. The first thing I said was, could we have this golf swing thing wrong? And Mo not only was, demonstrating a way to start an impact on the same plane. he was also regarded by the entire golf community as the greatest ball striker that's ever played the game. So there's this, these the pieces of the puzzle were coming together for me. So being the person in the quest and search for answers, I got in my car and Mo was doing a clinic in Chicago, Illinois, and I drove my butt all the way to Chicago And well, let me back up a step. When I saw this happen, I practiced. I had a a friend of mine. This is, this is where serendipity kind of comes in. He had shown up with a videotape. He was playing the Canadian tour and he shows up with a videotape in my apartment in Dallas and says, you got to see this guy. Mel Norman hit a golf ball. You got to see this. And I watch this and I see, I draw a single plane line. I see this single plane line, like, holy cow, this single plane line. It's crazy. Makes so much sense. So that's when I go, I got to go meet this guy. So I got my car and I drove to Chicago, Illinois to watch Mo do a clinic. And of course I had been practicing for a year, seeing what I saw in that videotape. So I was pretty decent at it. And I watched Mo do this clinic. And, here, and let me explain this clinic. First of all, I played, I played on the, prior to this meeting Mo, I would played on the Asian tour, played with some of the best players in the world, uh, good friends with, the Todd Hamilton's of the world, David Toms, all these guys that are now on champions tour, or maybe even past the champions tour. But at the time these guys were the, some of the best players in the world. And so I had a lot of golf background. I knew what great golf was. I competed with these guys. I played with these guys. I'd seen great ball striking. Nobody I've ever seen could hit it like Mo Norman on a consistent basis in such a, an efficient manner one after another, repeatable, simple, efficient, like Mo. And I watched this clinic and I'm watching him do this, and he's just literally hitting balls. And I've told this story a zillion times where there's a 250 yard pole out there. It's a metal pole, and he's literally hitting the ball. You know, he's in a driver and it's just dinging off that pole, like ding every, about every fourth or fifth shot. I don't know. It's just like he kept hitting that 250 yard sign. Um, and I kept thinking, this is, this is remarkable. And by the way, the conditions of the range were horrible. It wasn't a nice facility. It was nasty, and Mo was just sitting there ripping shots. And, and I just I saw the efficiency of the swing and I, the sound of the golf ball and all these things that were so incredible. The, the shape of the shots were so amazingly good. There wasn't any big curves to the golf ball. It was just dead straight shots. And, and so I walked up to Mo, and, and, I, and I said to him, and here's, here's where I started getting – this is like the first lesson from Mo. I walked up to him, and I said, Mo, You're the greatest ball striker that I've ever seen. He goes, I know I'm best in the world. And I said, well, how did you learn to do that? He goes, hard work, can't buy it. I'm like, I get it. I get it. I said, would you mind if I picked up your club and hit a few? Because imagine clubs laying all over the range. So his stuff was everywhere. So I grabbed his eight iron. Felt kind of like a big sledgehammer to me. And I started hitting shots, and, and he saw, he looked over at me and he goes, Ooh, ooh, it's me without a belly. It's me without a belly. And then I said, I said, Mo, I got a question for you. I said, how, how did you get so good? And he, here's where I think he, he laid, out, laid out the first lesson. He goes, You got to believe in yourself, because you got to believe in yourself. I have thought about that a lot in everything I've done from that point forward, is the belief in yourself. And here's where I think about that lesson the most when I'm teaching a student because here's where it comes into play. And maybe this, you can relate to this. If you don't believe that if you come take a, if you haven't, let's say I'm giving you a lesson, you come for some instruction and there is doubt. There's any doubt whatsoever that this, what you're going to do is going to work for you. If what I'm going to teach you is going to work for you, or there's any doubt that, the swing that I'm teaching you is going to help you there any doubt. Then you've diminished the ability for us to have success by a very high percentage, because if you doubt something, it means you don't believe in it. And so what Mo is saying to me is, Hey, if, if you're going to do this, you've got to co- go into this with the 100% belief in what you're doing. You, you, you can't go into this without, with any reservation and, and my rule for teaching people is how committed are you? How committed are you to this, to this process? Because if you're just trying the swing and you've heard me talk about this before, if people say, Hey Todd, I want to try the single point swing. I don't want to teach you. I don't want to teach you if you want to try it. I really don't. And I'm just being honest with you. And this isn't something I want you to try. It's something I want you to do is I want you to commit because I know that if you commit, it's going to help you a hundred percent. But if you just try it, first of all, most people that try it don't get it right. And so they blame it, and it's really them. And so you, you run into these, you run into this, this mixture of you didn't do it right, then you're, you're, you're blaming the wrong thing. You, you weren't committed in the first place. Doubt's never, you're never going to have success with doubt. My suggestion to anybody wanting to learn the single plane swing is you have to make a 100% commitment to getting it. And I did that. That was like the first thing I did was like, my, I actually told Mo right then, I said, you know what? Not only am I going to get this, I'm going to be better than you. I said, I'm going to be a better ball striker than you. And he, he loved it. He loved it. That's probably why we connected. Because here's the thing. Fast forward to 2004 three months before he died, July, August, three months before he died, I'm playing golf with him and we're having lunch. And I said, Mo, got a question for you. Why me? And the reason I asked that question, you know, why did, why did you choose me or why did we, we become such good friends or why did you mentor me? Because my thought process was, holy shit. He's been in Canada his whole life. You have this treasure of a, not only a human being, but a ball striking machine that every golfer in the world in Canada should have gravitated towards and learned what he was doing and figured it out, but nobody freaking did. I couldn't, I mean, I'm like, what the hell? So I'm like, why me, Mo? Why me? And he says, because you wanted it. (laughs) Pretty simple. But what he meant by that was, of all the people he had met, of all the people that had asked him for help, of all the people that were inspired by him, which he saw many, And everybody loved watching him hit golf balls. And there was probably a billion people that had tried to swing. Of all those people, he saw me as the guy that wanted it the most. And so think about that for a minute. Could wanting it and could the belief in yourself, those two things, wanting it so badly because he saw that in me, I'll I'll do whatever it takes. Which means that belief of I'm going to do whatever it takes because I believe in it so wholeheartedly he saw that. And that's, let me ask you this question, and this is what I would have a, this is really what I was getting at when I talked to Mo about it, was why would you mentor anybody that didn't, wasn't committed? Like, why would Mo have mentored me like he did if he, if I was half committed? Because I don't want to, I don't want to mentor people that aren't committed, right? I don't want to teach people that, that are kind of half involved, one foot in, one foot out. Well, that's what most saw in me was the commitment and the belief and the, and the relentless, relentlessness of my pursuit of it. And that's what I think must be there to have success. That's just my, maybe more than my opinion, but that's just my opinion because I've never been successful at something I'm not committed to. I find myself, half committed to things all the time, but I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to do that. I've gotten better in my life at saying no to stuff because I know I'm not going to follow through with it because people say, you should do this. I'm like, you know what? It sounds great right now, but I'm just not going to follow through with that. Now I've learned, but when it came to learning the most swing, when I saw it, I was so, and I still am so 100% convinced that this is the absolute best way to hit a golf ball that I could, I dedicated and committed myself hundred percent to it to the point was, and, and don't think for a minute that I didn't have trouble. Like there was frustrating moments. There was times when I, my lead hand grip was in the wrong spot and I would hook the golf ball and I would shit. I was doing clinics for people and hitting it like shit sometimes. Like I had to go through this process. Sometimes it was embarrassing. I remember I'll tell you a quick story. I was one of my most embarrassing moments was as, as I'm learning the swing. So I'm going through all these changes. Can you imagine, you know, you're going through all these swing changes and they put you in, I'm doing a, a, a clinic for a bunch of reporters and press um, to demonstrate the swing, but I'm hitting it like shit. And I had to do it for all these reporters and I started hooking it and they're like, why are you hooking it? You know? And, and it's because I, I wasn't, I hadn't quite figured I was still learning in the process. I didn't give up though. I didn't give up and I kept at it and I knew here, here was my thought process. And let me tell you what my brain went through. My brain never went to, this is the wrong swing. See, my brain would never do that. My brain went to, there must be something I need to correct. There must be something I need to adjust. Let me go take a look at Mo because he's the model. So my brain always went to, let's go look at the model. Let's go look at that model. What's going on? There's something I'm not getting right. That's what my brain always went to. It never went to, this swing's not for me, ever, never once. That's the commitment level that I had. And I think that's, so- so even today, even today, if, if I go have a bad practice session or I go have a bad thing, it's never the swing, ever. It's always ball position might have been off, um, didn't feel good, I'm out of position a little bit, whatever, fine. But it always works out because when, when I match that model, it comes right back. And that's been the beauty of this whole thing for me is, is I always have the solution with me all the time. So that was lesson one, is the belief and 100% dedication and commitment to that. That, was, that was the first mentorship type experience I had with Mo. As I got to know Mo and we got to spend more time together, probably the thing I noticed most about Mo was a level of indifference to bad shots. How did I interpret that? Well, I'd be playing golf with Mo and I'd hit a bad shot. And it, it wasn't... Here's how it would have felt like. Never attach that shot to your ego. Never attach that result to your self worth. Maybe Mo learned that from all his experiences, and insecurities, and the, th- and the things that he had going on with, with him. But I thought it is very valuable because we're, here's a fundamental human trait, and this is psychology. A fundamental human condition is that. We don't think we're valuable enough. That's a fundamental human condition. If you pile on top of that, when I hit a bad shot, it devalues me. You have a problem because now you can be devalued by something like a golf shot. Mo taught me, he called it alert attitude of indifference. But what that meant was, look, get up there, hit your shot and be indifferent to it. I remember hitting a, a shot one time. It wasn't really a good shot, but it wasn't a bad shot, but it had a good result, but it was kind of a, kind of it wasn't hit pure. And Mo was like, good is a good shot. Good is a good shot. In other words, good job. You know, you don't have to be perfect. He, what he was saying was, you don't have to be perfect, Todd. Just keep going and keep at it and, and keep working at, at getting better and keep, stay in the process and, and don't judge yourself. Stop judging yourself. Mo would say to me all the time, be your own best friend. Think about that one for a minute. You need to be your own best friend. Stop judging yourself. Why? Would, and he would say, why would you treat yourself uh, worse than you treat, you know, why do you treat other people better than you treat yourself? That's what he would say. Why do you treat other people better than you treat yourself? It's a good point. Why do we beat ourselves up over stuff and judge ourselves? And then we would never say that to somebody else because we don't want to hurt their feelings or why do we hurt our own feelings? Right. Stop, right. Stop judging yourself. And I'll I'll tell you a little, little, and this brings brings my attention to my YouTube channel because, you know, I post some videos on YouTube, and you guys probably see me on there. And it's one of my it's one I love to do. I love I love talking about this stuff. I love, I love, I love having thoughts and concepts, and I love conversations about it. And then you get these negative people on YouTube, and I'll tell you right now, if you post a negative comment on me to Daniel, I just delete you. Here's why I do that. Because I don't want negativity around me, so I'd rather evict you from my universe and just be around positive people. That's just my rule. So if you post one negative comment, I evict you. <laughs> I don't let you in my. I don't let you in my universe if you're negative. If you want to help, if you have questions, no problem. If you want, if you're searching for answers, I'm all. I'm hundred percent with you. I'm. Hel- I'm here to help you find them. If you are inspired and you, and you want, have questions that don't bother me at all. I'm here to help. But if you get negative and you start, and there's plenty of it. And I actually looked the other day, I looked through how many people I've actually deleted and there is hundreds, maybe thousands of people because they think it's okay to go around there and, and um, spew negative energy because you're behind a computer screen. And I'm like, that's fine. I'm just going to remove you from the universe. And you may be a nice person. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't, I'm not going to spend the time to figure that out. So That's a rule. That's a value system I have is I want to surround myself with positive aspirational people that I can help grow and they can help grow me that are always that are we're searching for solutions to problems. We are here to help in all situations. That's the universe I want to be in. And so I've chosen to be that way. And that that Moa is a lot of that to me. And I was probably a lot of that to him because he saw I didn't go to him bitching about stuff. I went there, I went to, come on, let's do this. Um, I got a question for you about the lead hand. And I would go over there and I'd grind on it and practice it. And how about this? And, and I, we, would, we would have that, those really great conversations. I would spend time on the range with him. And we'd be hitting balls together. And I would be, he'd be behind me hitting balls and I'd be hitting a few. I'd watch him hit a few and I'd turn around and go, hey, what, what, what's going on here? And I would, one time he was hitting a few shots and you know how he put the club, you know, six to eight inches behind the ball world. Well, I, I, as right right before he's about to hit, I took his club, I took my club and I took his club head and I slid it up next to the ball. I'm like, why, what happens if you do that? Instead of saying, Mo, why do you put the club behind the ball? I said, I, I put the club behind the ball for him and I said, what happens when you do that? And then I got the answer. He, he goes, the club goes outside. It doesn't, it doesn't go where I want it to go. It, the club doesn't move on its path. It doesn't go inside. There it is because it changed the orientation of his body. So now he couldn't get the club back where he wanted it. So instead of trying instead of asking the question, Mo, why do you put the club back? And and he would sometimes just come up with answers and, you know, eliminates part of my swing, um, whatever. The real answer was, I can't take the club back on the correct path. My body is out of position to take it back on the correct path when I put my hands and club forward like that. So that was obviously there was tons of little bits and pieces that I was always gathering from Mo as I spent time with him. Um, one time I, I, he was digging through this trunk of his car and we'd always go through stuff and we'd pull out magazines and I'd ask him about his clubs and stuff. And, and, uh, I, I asked him one day, I was like, I was like, Mo, you know, if you have to look back at all this stuff, um, what, what are you most proud of? Like, what, what do you, what would you say most proud of? Cause he would open his glove box and he'd have the, I remember the master's pin was in there and I would grab the master's pin and stuff. And that, he wasn't necessarily most proud of that. What are you most proud of? And he was most proud of staying true to himself. He'd say, I did it my way. He was most proud of that. In other words, he was most proud of not selling out. Right? And one of the things that, that I hear from a lot of um, um, our students is, "Why well, this swing is different. Everybody, Yeah, yeah the swing is different. That's right. And if you believe in it, it shouldn't matter. And if you really believe in what you're doing and you stay committed to it, just don't sell out and just go for it. Get it, do it. And you'll reap the rewards of that. But if you're always like, well, you know, it just looks weird or whatever, which to me, it doesn't look weird to me anymore. Matter of fact, just watch the PGA tour and tell me the swings don't look weird out there. Um, it looks so simple and normal to me now that I have a hard time even thinking on those terms, but I just want people to commit. And that was a big, that was a big part of what Mo. Was that was the most important aspect of Mo and I having a relationship was the commitment level I had to what we were doing. It's like when you, when you, when everybody's all in on a project and you're hundred percent committed, man, it's just, it's a mission. And that's, that's the way I treated it. And then the other thing too, that, that I, that I think was so important about my relationship with Mo was in a way I felt like I had to protect him in a, a little bit in a lot of ways like when you're around him because you it's not that he was fragile he was nothing fragile about mo at all but you wanted but people didn't understand him so because people didn't understand it you want, I wanted to kind of say hey until you really understand what's going on here just let's you know there's don't judge anything until you understand it and that was a big learning part for me because if you ask if you ask me Today, why I think Mo really respected and appreciated me was because I didn't judge him at all. I I, I spent zero time judging him. I looked at him as a mentor, and, and I aspired to be him because I saw what I saw who he was. I saw I saw his commitment level to his being who he was. He he wasn't trying to be somebody else. The authenticity of him was was very, very important to me. I think authenticity is tell me who you are and then be honest to yourself. And then that's all you need to do in this world. I think when you're trying to be somebody else or whatever, and, and that's, that's to me, what I really appreciated about Mo. I think that's huge. That's what I really appreciated about him. Um, and I think that's, that's where it, it really, really, why we, why I'm sitting here today, because look, it's 2023 and we've been doing this a long time and I've been doing this a long time. And sometimes I sit back, my wife asked me the other day, I was, I was uh, driving the car and she turned to me and she goes, after we had, we had just left Graves Golf Performance Center, the construction site, and we we're driving down the road. And she said, I got a question for you. She goes, do you ever just sit back and just get exhausted? She goes, you got so much going on. Do you ever sit there and go, man, I'm just so tired of this. I said, no, I said, I don't. And I said, because I just see where we've come. And I see, I see, I'm so inspired by the future of this. I'm so inspired by what it can do for other people and be helpful. I, we have such a great team and, and it's just, it wouldn't be where it's at right now. We wouldn't have the company we have right now if it wasn't real and really, really uh, serving people. I go, we serve people and we help people have better lives and better worlds. And Mo helped me have a better life. I wouldn't have this life without Mo in a lot of ways. So I'm appreciative of, of all of that all the time. And having said that, when my wife said, do you ever get tired of this? She was looking at it from the perspective of a man. It's a lot of work. Like look at all the work and look at the stress and look at, it's not, it, it is. Hell yeah. Stress. You want to talk about stress? Go sit at a city planning commission. I have them tell you that what you've been working on for two years might get delayed eight months because of a, a, piece of paper that they won't put across their desk, really. But you know what? I don't look at that. I'm like, okay, let's let's. How do we move this forward? How do we take the next step? Okay, what's the next dot? I got a. What's the next T? I got to cross and I. I got a dot and, let's dot those I's and cross those T's and let's let's strategize it and let's keep moving. And I'll be tired when I'm, not doing. This. I got to be honest with you. I'll be tired. I'll be exhausted when I'm not doing this stuff. I'll be like, man, what's the purpose, right? But I did tell my wife this. I was like, what I have learned about what I'm doing is to stay around motivated people. I go, because I, <laughs> when I'm in the city planning commission meeting and the lady there is negative Nancy and she's telling me all the crap that might happen, I'm like, get me away from her. I'm like, even if that stuff happens, I don't want to hear about it. Like, I don't need to hear it. I go, just let it happen, right? Don't, for, don't forecast the negativity in the future when it's, it's just a hypothetical bullshit anyway. I don't care about that right now. I don't have time for that. If it happens, it happens. We move forward. I'll deal with it when it happens. We'll, we'll make sure everything's in the right place. But don't, I don't need to sit here and listen to you tell me that, oh, this may happen and this may happen and a tree may fall in a house. Okay, Yeah. Right, and a meteor may hit the golf course too. I don't know, but look, that doesn't—that's not a reality right now. Let's just do what we got to do. Tell me the pieces I need to put in place. Tell me what you need, and I'm going to do all that. We'll see where the cards fall. So I just run from people that are negative right now. I really—it's—it's where I've gotten to in my life. I just, and it happens at schools too. If you want, if you want our instructors to spend time with you at our schools, and this is a natural human thing. It's not—we're not doing this on purpose. Be positive, be energetic, be uh, be aspirational, help the guy next to you, um, be, um, be appreciative. And all the instructors w- can't wait to spend time with you and, and help you. You start getting negative, who wants to be around that? I had a student the other day. I'm working with him on the range. This is a, this is a very, very well-known client of mine. And he gets fr- hits a bad shot, gets frustrated, and throws his club. And I'm like, dude, listen to me. I'm like, I love you to death and I'll do anything for you and I'll help you. That's bullshit right there. Uh, I don't have, I don't have time to be, I got better shit to do than have you throwing clubs out here because this difficult game you're, you're struggling with, well, get, get in line. It's a great game. It's hard. That's why you're here. So pick that fucking club up and let's get to work and let's, let's, let's figure out how we make this better. That should inspire you. So I just don't have the patience for it because man, it's just, it's just now frustration can be a positive thing. If you say, okay, man, man, I, I need to go check this out. Let's go figure this out. Got it. Let's do this. But no, there's at no point in time. Do I have time for the negative Nancy's, the throwing of clubs, the, all that stuff. No, I'm just not going to deal with it. I want solutions. Let's go find it. Let's go do this. And that's the people I want to be around. That was Mo that was mo. Mo was mo was an inspirational guy to be around. He was he was pushing me to be a better me. That's who you want around you by the way. And by the way, you, you don't want you don't want people around you and this is what I've learned as well. You don't want people around you that always tell you what you want to hear. And I have a hard time in my company with this because because, you know, people are I I remember one of my employees years ago said she was afraid of me. And I didn't think I was a scary person. I don't consider myself a scary person, but I kind of get her point because you know, she's like I pop in, I make I have orders, here's what you need to do in the company, blah blah blah, boom, boom and I leave and so she I could see her kind of stress level when I would be around her. I I totally get that. Get that under uh, that perception. But at the same time, you want you want to be able to the people around you to say, "I got this." I totally got this. And then be able to get in the same room with somebody, have a heated conversation about differences of opinions and what should happen, but then it's a go team. Got it. Let's go team. Let's do this. And so that's who you want to be around. And so my recommendation is you get around people that don't always say, yeah, Todd, whatever you want. I don't want those people around me. I want people putting me in check, doing the right thing for the mission, right? Because I'm not perfect and I don't always have the right things going on, but what's the mission, Todd? Stick on the mission. Yes, got it. What's the right thing for the mission? And if you if you can get people around you that are willing to call you out, the, the most damaging thing I see happen to people is there's nobody around them to do that. There's nobody, nobody putting people in check, or which leads to coaching in a lot of ways. Because coaches aren't always going to tell you what you need to hear. They're going to tell you what 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 they what they're going to tell you must be done, whether you like it or not. They're going to tell you, they're not going to tell you what, what makes you feel good all the time. They're going to tell you, here's what must be done. And this is what you have to do, whether you like it or not. So that's what coaches are for. You don't want people around you all the time just saying, yeah, just make him happy. You know? So I find very, very And and Mo is like that to me as well. Mo didn't always tell me things I wanted to hear. He told me things I needed to hear. He told me the things that I must know that weren't always comfortable, not always comfortable. So I guess, I guess a good point of all this to me is many of you out there are looking for inspiration. You're looking, how do I get better? Here's, here's something I, I think you should take into consideration. Cause I, I, I talk about this a lot is find your why of your motivation of why, what's your, what's your core values behind it? If you're playing golf for somebody else, it's just not going to work because it's got to come from inside of you. Just like when I was with Mo, he saw inside of me how bad I wanted it. It was my, I was inspired by it. I wasn't doing it for somebody else. Matter of fact, the most trouble I've had playing competitive golf in my life was when I was playing for sponsors. The The, the most miserable round I ever played in golf was I was at, I was in Chicago playing at um, Butler national with one of my sponsors and I felt judged on every single shot. Like we're sponsoring this guy and is he any good? And is he playing any good? And should we keep sponsoring him? And I had, and I, sh- I could shoot like 75. I didn't play well. And they're like, good round today. <laughs> they didn't even really get it. <laughs> so I'm like, what was I so worried about? But, but when you feel judged, when you feel judged, it's not the person judging you's fault. It's the fact that you are doing something for them, that you're seeking their approval. So I'm not saying when somebody's judging me, that's not their fault. What I'm saying is what is inside of me is seeking their approval so badly that makes their judgment matter to me because it's an inside job. And so for me, I kept saying, wow, this is why can't I just go out there and say, screw it and play golf, right? Let the cards fall. And that's, I had to learn that. So I think you've got to find that what's inside of you that they can, that doesn't care that it's judged, that that can't judge itself. And like I was judging myself, that's how I could, that's how I was letting them judge me, but I was judging myself. Again, it's, it's an, it's an inside job the external world cannot do it to you. Those sponsors could not judge me. They're not capable of judging me. I am judging myself and reflecting that on them and then saying, well, I'm being judged. I'm judging myself. So until I can stop judging myself and figure out, hey, this is, this is, stop judging yourself, stop treating yourself like that and just let's play golf, right? So I think we have to, I think for you looking, aspiring to really, really love the game more than you do right now and improve yourself, whether it's golf or you becoming a better person or all the things that I think about all the time, stop judging yourself and just decide and then just do the things that you got to do unapologetically and get around people that support that. It's probably as simple as that. One of the things that I, I talk to the coaches and the team here a lot about is just being the right support system for the people we're involved with. And here's the way it works. And I'll kind of close off the, the uh, podcast today with this. The way life works, and what I've learned is this: what you put out, you get back. So, and this is a this is this is everything. It's like I don't know if there's this little universal law out there, reciprocation. There must be. If you want to become a better golfer, then hang out with great golfers. Go spend time around people who talk about great golf. If you want to be a better golfer and you want to learn more about the swing, hang out with our coaches who know about the swing. Go to our webinars. Watch our videos. Do in- involve yourself in that stuff. Um, the more you involve yourself, the more re- reciprocation you get. If I want to be great at anything, I'm just going to go find great people that are doing that. I'm going to hang out with them. That's how you do it. And so so to me, when I see people have lots of success with our company, the students that have success, they're the most involved. We call them the 10%. It's the 10% show, right? We have our 10% show. Those are the most involved people. The more involved you are, the more you're around the stuff you need to be around, the more positive energies around that the more you improve and I and I'll finish it with this I have never this is one another law of the universe I think occurs out there that I've experienced is that the right people show up when I need them but that's not that's not rocket science here that's not mystical what happens is when you're putting yourself out into those environments those people are there in those environments so they're going to end up you're going to end up together it's it's this it it's it's again, it's reciprocation because I'm putting it out and then and then I'm around the right people. My brother had I told my brother told me a great lesson when I was a kid. My brother graduated from college. He became a state epidemiologist and he got to deal with a lot of interesting things at the state of Oklahoma before he turned professional golfer and we built the business together. As a state epidemiologist, he would run into he'd have to go down to the the morgue and and' out why somebody had passed away, and he did find out stuff. He, he says to me one day, I'm in college, and he he calls me, and I'm always just asking, him, well, what, what was a crazy experience you had recently? And he goes, Todd, he goes, I just want to tell you one thing. He goes, if if you hang out with if you hang out with people with knives, you're going to get stabbed. I remember him telling me that as a quote, and I'm like, there it is, Here it is, it's who you hang around, right? So here's the here's the here's the lesson for today. If you want to be a better if you want to be a better golfer. Hang out with great golfers. If you want to be a better single-plane swing golfer, hang out with us, single-plane swingers, because we are going to help you learn this swing. We can't help but help you, right? It's not a quick fix thing where you, I got it. It's a make it a lifestyle. We, we had a conversation in Graves Golf today about this whole concept of single-plane life. Well, that's what I have. I have a single-plane life. You know, started with Mo in 1994, and it continues today. And we have, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of other single plane lifers that are with us. So this is an invitation. This is an invitation to all of you to take more steps to become more involved with us because we love it and we want to help. And we can't help if you're not here. So, um, So I hope to see you sometime at a golf school on a webinar on a podcast at the new Graves Golf Performance Center next year. Look, there's a zillion ways to get involved. I look forward to all of them. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. And I will see you next time.